0: We go, Luke chapter 15, we're gonna start in verse one. The Bible says this, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. And he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. How many of you would say you were the one? Come on. I I don't think there's any 99 in here. I, I think every one of us was the one that Jesus Came after. Then then watch this. Verse eight says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now watch this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. One word, the the Greek word there is literally the word bios, which means life. What the scripture is literally saying here is that this decision by this son tore this father's life apart. That's what he's saying. And not many days after, the young man gathered all he had together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. We find out later from his own brother that he spent most of his money on prostitutes. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have, been, have bread enough to spare? And I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father ignored it. He said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. I just want you to pay close attention to the fact that the end of this story, we are left with an older brother still on the outside. At the conclusion of this story, The older brother has not made the decision to go inside into fellowship with the father and with his younger brother. He has decided to stay on the outside. So as much hope as this story leaves us with in the younger brother, it would have left this crowd of people stunned that the younger brother is inside in fellowship and that the older brother who had done everything right was still on the outside looking in. And I think that really sums up what a lot of Christians experience in their walk with God today. I want to talk to you about that for just a few minutes. So let's pray. Father in Jesus name, we ask you over these next few moments you would help us to see you clear, know you better. We love you, thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. It's really interesting that in this, in this story that this chapter begins with this thought, and sinners drew near to hear Jesus. I think the marker of any good church that is doing the work of Christ is that sinners are drawing near to hear Jesus. I think if a church is really a church of Jesus, then it should be full of people who are not like Jesus, who are looking for what Jesus has to offer. I don't know if there's anybody in this room who is thankful that when you came to God, you were not perfect, but he received you anyway. When you came and you you, you found uh, yourself in front of Jesus for the first time, that he didn't reject you because of your condition, but he received you gladly, are you thankful this morning that even in your sinful condition, Jesus has received you into, into his presence. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting story because here we have, we have two stories before kind of the main story here. We have a story of a lost sheep and of a lost coin, and then we get to the main story here, which is about these two sons, which some, some, some Bibles have over this, the prodigal son or the lost son, but the reality here is that there are two sons this day that are lost. Two sons that are lost. First of all, you have the son who came to the father and we're very familiar with this son because most of us can kind of connect with this guy. This is where many of us have been. We have been the one who did our own thing, went our own way and we fell on our face and realized that we were nothing without the father and we ran back to God and he received us. This is a powerful story because to this culture, to this people, to this crowd gathered that day, this story would have had such an impact, especially because Jesus starts off with a son who wants his inheritance before his father has died. This would have been an incredible slap in the face of this father. This would have been a rejection of relationship. This would have been this son saying, I don't want you, I only want what you have. And so when he does this, the father, in this incredible response, the father says, okay, And this is what's amazing about this story because the father would not have access to lots of money. It's not like he had a bank where he could go and get a lot of money out and give it to his son. What his son is literally asking for is for the father to sell the land that belonged to him. Now this son would have deserved and earned because he was the youngest son, he would have had the right to a third of whatever was owned by the father. All of his money, all of his cattle, All of it, all of his land, a third of it would have been his. So the father would have had to gone through the painstaking process of selling off land. And if you know anything about this culture, you understand that land was everything. Land was identity. Land had everything to do with your value in the system in that day. And so not only was this father suffering from the fact that his son has, re, has rejected his love, but now he has lost his standing in the community because he has lost a third of his property. So now the community looks at him as a father who has been rejected by his son, and now he is lost because of this, a third of his property has sold it off. He's taken it and he's given the proceeds to his son. And now his son has run off and he's living a wild lifestyle. And the Bible says that one day it's gotten so bad for him. And, and, and to the Jewish people, this would have been such an incredible scene that a young Jewish boy would be in a pig pen, hanging out with pigs, They would have thought that the sin was awful, but they would have thought that this was the lowest point. It wasn't the prostitutes. It wasn't the parties. It wasn't the drinking. It wasn't the drunkenness. It was that this boy would mingle with the dirtiest animal. And his life would be so low that he's serving a foreigner. And he's sleeping and hanging out in the pig pen, desiring to eat what they eat. And the Bible says that he comes to himself. He has this awakening. In other words, this is what happens to us when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our lives. And he reminds us that there's something more for us, that I was made for more, that this isn't really what my life is supposed to be all about, that there's another way, there's something else that I can do. And so he's awakened, but he's awakened to a, to a, uh, a reality that is not really what God has for him totally. He's awakened, but he's not fully awake yet. He's awake, but he's not woke I'm saying. So the Bible says that he comes to himself and he says, I'm going to go back to my dad's house and I'm going to tell my dad, listen, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. And if you would just take me back as a hired servant, I'd be happy. So he makes his way back to the father's house. And the Bible says something so beautiful about this story. It says that as he's making his way back, that the father sees him from a far off. I love this about God that no matter how much we come to ourself, no matter how much we get woke, the reality is, is the closest we will ever get to God on our own is afar off. I can imagine the father sees him and he runs to him and the Bible says that he's running to him in, 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 and it's an interesting thing because in this day, Jewish men didn't run, especially older men, they didn't run. It, it, was a, it was to stoop down, it was to come down but this is such a such a picture of what heaven has done for us and, and that God comes running to us in the form of Jesus Christ and he stoops down and he comes down and, and he runs to the, to the son and the son tries to get this speech out but the father doesn't even really wanna hear it. He's just glad. Daddy's home. And I'm telling you, I, I, I know that you've, you've, you've tried to arrange a speech that will fix everything between you and God, but can I tell you, your speech doesn't fix anything. Jesus has already fixed everything for you. And so the father says, hey, listen, go get the best robe. The best robe in the house would have been the robe of the dad, would have been the father's robe. I'm thankful this morning that I'm not standing here in my righteousness Or in my clothes, I'm thankful for these clothes that cover my body, but I need a better garment to cover my sin. I am thankful that the Father's robe has been given to me. And he gives him the ring. The ring would have had a signet on it that he would have been able to sign documents and and sign for, for, for loans and sign for property. And literally what the Father is doing is he's restoring him to total sonship. And this is a beautiful part of the story, and this is mainly the focus of what most people talk about. But then we get into this older brother. We've got kind of the second scene or the second act of of this story. The Bible begins to talk to us about this older brother. Well, the younger brother is now home. They've killed the fatted calf. They're celebrating. The party is going on. And the older brother hears the noise. He hears the celebration. And he's like, what is going on? They begin to tell him, Well, hey, your your brother who was who was lost, he's home, he's alive, he's been found, he was dead, but he's alive. And instead of going in to see his brother and embracing his brother, the elder brother stands on the outside, frustrated with the party, frustrated with the noise, frustrated with the father until the father in his grace comes out to the older brother and he says, Hey. Why aren't you coming inside? Why are you, why are you partying with us? Why are you enjoying what God is doing? You know, there are some people in this room today and you've been to church a long time and you can't stand that all these new people are coming to Calvary and they fit in and nobody's judging them and you're looking at them like, well, what about me? I've been here for years and you didn't throw a party for me and and you're talking about belonging all the, all the time, but what about us? We, we've been, I've been a believer for a long, long time and the bro, the older brother's looking on the outside like, what about me? And he tells his dad, he says, hey, dad, you know, I've done everything you've asked me. From day one, I've done everything you've asked. I've been here, one translation said, I've been here slaving for you. Now watch this. Both sons have a relationship problem. The younger son, he comes to the father trying to be a hired servant. The other son is acting like he is a slave. Neither one of them are relating to their father as sons. Isn't it amazing how we, we, are, we are usually in one or two of these categories, but most of our life we, we have been both of these? See, one is coming to the father, and he's trying to make up reasons for the father not to fully embrace him because of his failures. He's like, well, the dad comes to hug him. He's like, but dad, you, I, if I... Listen, if you could just make me a hired servant, dad's like, forget all of that. You're, you're my son. He's like, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that, I, that, I've, that I've done, dad. You, you can't. And he's like, I don't care about any of that. And the, your relationship with God, you, you don't get to have a good or, or a bad relationship with God based on what you do. Good or bad. So watch this. The younger son's trying to relate to the father as a hired servant. The older son is trying to relate to the father as a slave. I've been here slaving for you. And he's throwing up all of the good stuff he's done. The one son is having a hard time relating to his dad because of his failures. The other son is having a hard time relating to his dad because of his successes. I'm just telling you this morning that there are many people in this room today and you find your relationship hard with God, not because of the bad stuff you did, but because of the good stuff you've done. And the good stuff you have done is actually keeping you from relationship with God because you think because you've been good, you deserve something. You think because you kept the commandments and you didn't cheat and you didn't steal and you didn't sleep with prostitutes that God owes you more than he owes the son who messed his life up. But God's saying, I don't owe you any more than I owe him. Matter of fact, I don't even relate to you that way. He looks at him and he says, hey, you have been with me. The father's literally trying to convince the sons that I am enough for you. See, they both... Are making the same mistake. Their mistakes are equally wrong, but their mistakes are not equally dangerous. Because the story ends with the younger brother on the inside, but the older brother still on the outside. Why? Because it is more dangerous to God that you come to Him with your successes. Than it is that you come to him with your failures. Because sin can be forgiven, weakness can be strengthened, but pride must be destroyed. And most of us, our problem isn't sin and it's not weakness, it's pride. And God is saying, Your biggest problem is your pride. Your biggest problem is that you think because you came to church today that I owe you something. You think because you gave in the offering, I owe you something. You think because you've been faithful, I owe you something. You think because you've been serving, I owe you something. God's like, I don't owe you anything. (laughs) It just got really real in here. We think because I've been so good, how dare God answer their prayer and not mine? How is it possible that this person who has wasted their life is getting a party? And here I am, I've done as much good as I could possibly Possibly do, and my life is in shambles. The father says, I don't relate to you based on your successes, I don't relate to you based on your failures, I relate to you based on who I am. He says to the older son, You have always been with me. But you know what's so amazing about this story? is these two boys are really not in our sense of what they have done or haven't done and their failures or their successes or what God is trying to say about them and how they relate to him. That's not really even the fullness of what is going on here. I don't know if you notice this, but in the first two stories, you have a lost sheep. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes running after the sheep. In the second story, you have a woman who has lost something valuable and she searches her entire house. Like my wife searches for those coupons sometimes. She's like, I knew there was 50% off somewhere around here. She will search. She will turn over the couch looking for that coupon. She goes looking for that coin. But in this, the, the, the main story, The son goes and he is lost, but no one goes to look for him. What's the point of this story? The point of this story is not just that Jesus will love you in spite of your failures. The point of this story is not that Jesus is saying, hey, your successes don't really mean anything to me. Like the Apostle Paul, he said, all of that stuff I did all of that knowledge I got, all of that religious activity I performed, I count it as done. All I want to do is know him. But that's not even really the point. The point of this story is that you've got a younger brother who nobody ran after. And the father is out here talking to this son who is frustrated. Why is the son frustrated? Not just because of the party, he's, he's frustrated because of all of the money that this is costing. You killed a fatted calf for him, you haven't even killed a goat for me. He's got the best robe, he's got the ring, he's got the brand new Nikes, and you haven't done anything for me. And when he is restored to sonship, see, a third of the inheritance is already gone. And when he is restored, now he becomes an heir of the inheritance again. And so whose piece of the pie is he eating into? The elder brother. The elder brother is mad because this forgiveness that the father so lavishly gives to the son isn't free. It's costing him everything. And Jesus's point is not really the younger brother or the older brother. Jesus' point is in this story, I'm not really the father. I'm actually a better elder brother. Are you hearing me? The point of this story is Jesus is saying, This brother was frustrated because of everything it costs to bring you back into relationship. He's mad at the father because it's eating into his inheritance. And Jesus, no wonder Hebrews would say that we are his younger brothers, that he is our elder brother, because Jesus is not the elder brother who sits and complains about what it costs to bring you and I home. Jesus is the one who hung on the cross and died for our sins, and we are now co-heirs. Jesus is a better elder brother. That's the point. The lost sheep had a shepherd go look. The lost coin, the woman searched until she found. But the lost son had nobody coming. See, a real brother in this culture, a true brother would have said, Dad, I'm gonna go find our, I'm gonna go find our guy. And I'm not coming back. Until I bring my brother home. This is the picture of what Jesus has done for us. We said, God, you just hang out right here. I got this. I'm going to go get my little brothers and sisters. And I'm going to pay whatever it costs to pay. And I'm going to do whatever needs to be done so that they can come home to you. And I don't care if they become joint heirs with me. I don't care if they get to receive part of my inheritance. I don't care because I just love my little brothers and my little sisters so much. I don't know if there's anybody in this room today who is thankful for Jesus, our elder brother, who has given his life, who, 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 who when nobody would come looking for us, he came looking for us. You stand on your feet this morning. I just came this morning to tell you that Jesus, he is a better elder brother. Romans 8 and 29 says, for those who he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. <laughs> These two brothers, I've, I've slaved for you. I just wanna be a slave for you. The father says I don't relate to you that way. This elder brother, I I can't believe you would do that for him. I can't believe you would take part of what belongs to me and give it to him. Jesus is saying, I'm a better elder brother. Forgiveness wasn't free cost him his life I heard someone say recently that forgiveness freedom is a bloody thing it wasn't really free In the sense that we receive it freely and the younger son is looking at all the father's doing he's saying wow this is amazing I can't believe you're doing all of this stuff for me yeah let's get turned up let's party let's do this not realizing everything that it was costing the older brother. And I'm thankful that we don't have an older brother who sits on the outside and doesn't join in on the party. But Jesus celebrates with us. The, grace, it truly means God's riches at Christ's expense.